My fellow Mighty Mandos, Marve Tegar, welcome to another exciting action-packed episode of Mando Vision, Nargai Tom, and thank you so much for checking out this small, independent Star Wars podcast. We are going back this week to our show-within-a-show format, where we are re-reviewing uh, each individual episode and chapter of Season 1 of The Mandalorian, uh, but before we get into this week's episode, Please make sure you're following us on social media at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. All right, like I said, we're going back this week. We're getting back into Chapter 5, The Gunslinger. This was an episode uh, that I reviewed, and uh, while I was positive on it initially, I did have some critiques of it. And uh, as I listened back to my critiques of it, I... Uh, I've Well, listen, listen. I've watched the show several more times during during our, our, our wonderful quarantine stay-at-home period. I've gotten to revisit this chapter, and while initially I did enjoy the episode, I had some, some critiques for it. Um, I don't, looking back at it now and having watched the episode again, I sort of disagree with myself. My, I, I sort of disagree with my initial intake uh, of, of what this episode is and what it represents, and I think you guys are going to hear that uh, as you listen to that initial review. Again, I, I speak fairly highly of the majority of the episode, I do make a couple of, of remarks uh, in, the, in, the, in the latter half of the episode where I'm sort of critical of some of the fan service elements of this episode because obviously it, it, it is a fan service kind of episode in the we're back on Tatooine, we're back in Mos Eisley, we're in the Star Wars cantina, you know, um, it, it was kind of a lot, maybe at the time and maybe, maybe it kind of rubbed me the wrong way at the time because of whatever factors were going on in my head. Um, I, it, 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 watching it again recently and, and then over the past few months, uh, I had no... It, it didn't butt up against me at all this time around. Um, and some of the other criticisms that I had about how the story seemed to kind of be standing still a little bit, I think that's false. Uh, I, I completely dis disagree with that take now because... Uh, specifically because what we know about Season 2 of The Mandalorian going into it uh, and, the, and the rumors that, uh, that Timothy Oliphant is going to be playing the Mandalorian bounty hunter that we saw at the tail end of this episode. Uh, again, the rumors have swirled that he's playing Boba Fett, but I think I think it's been mostly uh, dis dissuaded now um, because of, again, the, the, the rumors of, of who he's going to be playing. That uh, he would be playing a, a character named Cobb Vanth, who was introduced in one of the, the first uh, novelizations in the new Star Wars canon the, the Disney Star Wars canon, the uh, the Empire's End books. And uh, actually, I believe the first book is called... Uh, no, I think the first one is called Empire's End, right? Is Empire's End or Aftermath? Might be Aftermath. 
um, they introduce these characters in like this weird little interlude as a, as a person on, ba- on on Tatooine who comes across Boba Fett's armor in the sand. So there's a very real possibility that that is who we are, who we sort of meet at the tail end of this episode, coming across the the body of Fennec Shan, and. Uh, I, Again, uh, you know, these are rumors. We don't know any of this stuff for sure. But it makes us, it makes a fair amount of sense. Granted, it, could it be Boba Fett at some point? It certainly could. But that's a, that's going to be a, a topic. We're going to talk more about Boba Fett in, uh, in, in, when we re-review next week's supplemental episode that I did, explaining a bit more about Boba Fett's state in the Disney canon as opposed to the, the original, the old, no more, no more, no, no longer counting canon. That was the the uh, old Star Wars expanded universe. So again, I think I, my, I think this episode is is at the time I viewed it as as a bit of a, a sort of standing still kind of thing, not really pushing the story forward. Um, but based on the rumors that we have for season two, it seems like this episode was actually foreshadowing a lot of stuff that we may be seeing next. So that's very very cool, and and in in that in that sense. Uh, I liked it much more. And also because uh, I think at the time I was worried that we were going to get a confrontation between these two characters in season one. And I wasn't sure if maybe it was going to be uh, earned or if maybe it was going a little too fast to get to a confrontation between uh, uh, a sort of rogue Mandalorian character or not. Again, now that I've known the entire season and I can see that I can look at it with a more uh, contextual perspective, uh, I, I think this episode sits really nicely in the middle of the season and, and and serves as, as sort of a, um, again, as, as something of, of an entry point, in, or a, of a bit of foreshadowing, I should say, for season two of The Mandalorian. And hopefully this this character, this uh, this Cobb Banth character, that is supposedly, quote-unquote, played by Timothy Oliphant, who one of my favorite favorite actors uh, in the world. So, listen, uh, take, that in, take that in mind, or keep that in mind as you're listening to, to my review and, and to some of my critiques. Again, I save, I save most of my critiques for the end of the episode. Uh, some critiques that I still stand by is I'm still not crazy about Jake Cannaval uh, uh, as the gunslinger in this episode. Um, but, you know, it, it, whatever. I can, like, I can live with it or without it. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, it, it, I, you know, again, my, 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 personal preference, my personal gripes against nepotism in Hollywood are what they are. Um, and other than that, uh, I, I don't again. I don't feel like the story is is stuck in place. I'd love to see more of the Fennec Shan character. I kind of sort of hope she's not dead. I'd love to see her pop back up in season two as well. Uh, Ming Na Wen is fantastic. I love her very very much. Oh, uh, and I still stand by my my criticism of uh, the Mount the 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 Mandalorian, our man Din Djarin, uh making odd choices as as the guardian as the custodian of the child. Uh, you know. Put him in a, in, a, in, a, in a cabinet on the Razor Crest and, and, and hoping that he'll be fine there by himself. Uh, it seems an odd choice to make when, you, when you've sacrificed everything for this child to just sort of make, well, we'll put him in a, in a, in a cabinet and, and hope for the best. Again, we can talk more about that on the other side. So get ready to listen to the original episode. Now, listen, I'm going to warn you. Uh, I'm not going to do a lot of, I'm not going to interrupt this episode, first of all. So you're going to be able to listen to it straight through. I'm also not going to cut around. <laughs> what uh, what 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 the Tomcast podcast is all about, which is this episode opens, this episode of podcast opens with with Christmas music because that was when it was recorded, and as a Christmas nut, I'm just going to keep it in there, 
So you're, you're going to listen to the whole episode in its entirety, and I'll talk to you guys on the back end, and uh, we'll have a, a little bit further discussion uh, on some of, some of my, my points. And whether you agree or disagree, doesn't matter. That's okay. Let me know. Let me know uh, what you think I'm wrong on, or, or maybe maybe like what you agree with me on. You know, again, make sure you're following us on the social media at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. All right, here it is. Strap on those buckets. Here we go. Hey, droid. I'm a hunter. I'm looking for some work. Unfortunately, the bounty guild no longer operates in Tatooine. I'm not looking for guild work. I am afraid that does not improve your situation. At least by my calculation. Think again, Tin Can. You're looking for work. Have a seat, my friend. Name's Toro. Toro Calican. Hello, Popheads. Happy Holidays and Merry Christmas. Welcome to issue 60 of 3BZ Presents, the TomCast Popcast, also known as Popcast. And I am your loving host. My name is Tom. Please follow the show on social media at TomCast Popcast on Twitter. I'm sorry, at TomCast underscore Popcast on Twitter, at the TomCast underscore Popcast on Instagram. Email the show at TomCastPopcast at gmail.com. And finally, you can join Pophead Nation at patreon.com forward slash TomCastPopCast, where you can join the nation and experience the benefits that come with it. Thank you so much to our current Patreons. That would include the Aspen Hill Chody and the Squidmaster General, Brian Broussard. And please, finally, one last request. If you get the chance, click that little subscribe button for this podcast. You know, if you get a chance to, five-star reviews are awesome and we love getting those so thank you so so very very much all right we got a show for you today how about that it seems like i've been doing a show pretty much every day this week whether it's been popcasts or beer night in san diego's uh, i i i i'm not sure there's been a day so far this week without a microphone in my face at some point and that's okay because i really like doing this so this will get us finally caught up actually we're going to be caught up after this episode because we're doing Chapter 5 of The Mandalorian. Now, before we get into Chapter 5 and our review of this newest of the episodes, uh, a little bit of Mandalorian news dropped right just about the day before the episode came out. And uh, that, has, that has to do with some comments that Jon Favreau recently made at a, uh, at a function. He was speaking with a Hollywood reporter, and he talked a little bit about what's up next for The Mandalorian. And he says, this is a quote from the article, quote, I'm putting a lot of effort working with Dave Filoni to figure out what the overarching story is and the storyline for all these characters and what the world is like. We want to make sure that we have a roadmap because we're also a puzzle piece that fits into a larger Star Wars universe that has lots of other movies and a lot of other projects. And we want to make sure we are consistent with them. 
That's good stuff. He also went on to say, quote, We have a good 25-year patch of road in the Star Wars canon that nobody is exploring right now, and it's the most interesting time for me as a storyteller to explore, the time after the fall of the Empire and before the resurgence of darker forces. End quote. So it sounds like our uh, executive producer and main story writer is hard at work making sure that uh, the Star Wars universe is going to be cohesive and that uh, the Mandalorian's role will not be lesser than it should be as far as that goes. And that's good Good to hear. Today was the release of... today. The day I'm recording this, I'm doing recording this on Friday after Chapter 5 of The, of the Mandalorian was released. Uh, you guys probably won't hear this until Monday because I have been inundating you guys with with podcasts recently, so I want to give you guys a couple days to catch your breath after uh, listening to me incessantly for the past week or so. And I hope that's okay with you guys. And plus, you know, I don't, you know, there's no rush. You know, I mean, yeah, I get up at, at, you know, four in the morning to watch the show, but that doesn't mean you have to do that and then listen to this podcast immediately after that. I mean, if you do, that's great. But there's no, you know, I want to give you some time. Everyone's got a different schedule. Everyone has different lives, different responsibilities. And we're all in this together. We're all here for the fun. So you'll be hearing this on Monday morning. Hopefully you've watched the episode 47 times. And this discussion will hopefully be interesting to you. All right, so Chapter 5 of The Mandalorian is titled The Gunslinger. And it is written and directed by Dave Filoni. This is the first episode of the series thus far without Jon Favreau as a writer for the episode. So that is interesting to note as uh, this show does a couple things that are very different from what we've seen thus far on the show. Before we kind of get into the nitty-gritty, I want to kind of share my overall thoughts on the episode. I really, really liked it in a lot of senses. Uh, There are some really great set pieces, uh, great opening to the episode as well. Uh, And I liked, in in one sense, I really liked the episode. It was a lot of fun because of some of the reasons we're going to talk about as we dive into it. There are starting to be some story concerns for me. Uh, I feel I'm getting concerned that we're slowing down a little bit. We're not quite sure where to go with things. I don't think that's the right word. It just seems that we're bordering on meandering a little bit, and I don't want to see the show do that too much. Luckily, the show, the show's runtime dictates that it's at least fast-paced, so we're not wasting a lot of time. We're not getting necessary filler episodes. Um, but this does almost come across as a bit of a detour, even more so than I thought the, the Sorgan episode was. At least in the Sorgan episode, there was some going forward with the story. In, in this one, and we're going to talk about those details, I feel like there's a little bit of a step back from some of the forward progress of the previous chapters in the series. All right, so let's get into it. I talked about it right away. This episode opens excellently. Incredible space battle. That's what you want to see in Star Wars. That's what we haven't seen yet. There's a really cool, kick-ass space battle. And we get to see uh, the Razor Crest in space battle. He's being pursued. The Mando, Baby Yoda, being pursued by another bounty hunter. I was trying to get a better glimpse of this bounty hunter's spacecraft. You know, the starfighter that he is using to chase down the Mandalorian. Um, I couldn't get a real clear shot. From the cockpit view, it looked very similar to the Naboo Starfighters from Episode 1. 
But as we know, those starfighters were not very powerful. And this guy has some serious weaponry going on. He is unleashing a volley of blaster fire on the Razor Crest. So we get to see some cool uh, maneuvering in, in space. But in the Mando seems like he's getting into a little, a little bit of trouble with his bounty hunter. The pilot of this, of this, star, of this starfighter is named Riot Mar. I don't know much about him. Sounds made up. I think he's made up. And, I, again, I don't know what starfighter he has. It looked sort of like the old Z95 headhunters that, if you are a big dork like me, you may recognize from uh, previous video games, or computer games, actually, the X-Wing and the TIE Fighter series in particular. They were a, a starfighter that predated the X-Wing fighters. And it's a, there's a very good chance that's what it was, but I... I'm, I'm kind of keeping my eye out to see if there's more details. So anyways, we're in this great space battle, and uh, it looks like the Mandalorian's got is, is in dead to rights. And you hear they're having a, the bounty hunters issuing demands over the loudspeaker, which is one of those things where, like, if I were um, being pursued by a starfighter, I think I would just turn my, my comms off. I don't think I really want to hear from the other jackass behind me trying to blow my brains out. Anyways, he issues the line that we heard the Mandalorian say in, in Chapter 1, the... I can take you in warm, or I can take you in cold. And uh, the Mandalorian doesn't like that very much. So he does what, uh, what all good starfighters do. He, he, he rips off Tom Cruise. He does a Maverick. and you know, He throws the brakes on, lets the other guy fly right by him, and then blows his brains out. And says, hey, that's my line. Don't, don't take my shit. He doesn't say it quite like that. But you know what I mean. But the Razor Crest is pretty badly damaged from the battle. They're sort of drifting... The Mandalorian, after the title sequence comes on, has to sort of reboot some of the computer equipment in the, in the, in the cockpit of the Razor Crest, and uh, they need to find Haven, a safe haven, we get again, this time for repairs on the Razor Crest as they uh, receive some damage. They have a bad fuel leak that needs to be taken care of. And uh, where do we find ourselves? Oh, that's kind of convenient. The nearest planet happens to be Tatooine. And as they make contact with the Mos Eisley Tower, we get the classic shot of Mos Eisley, the, the moons overhead as the planet comes into view, just like that Star Destroyer opening in Episode 4, except this time it's the Razor Crest. So it's a much smaller craft <laughs> descending to the planet. Initial, initially, I was pretty stoked on seeing Tatooine again and what, what we're going to get for it from it. By the end of the episode, though, I think I kind of changed my mind on that. <laughs> so I'll, I'll talk more about uh, why I felt that way um, once we cover more of the episode. Uh, so the Mandalorian settles down. He gets, he gets to park himself in a, in a nice uh, docking bay. Uh, not the same docking bay as the Millennium Falcon. We're not going to docking bay 94, but we are going to a docking bay in Moss Eisley. He settles down and is greeted by droids, pit droids, who you may remember from also from episode one, The Phantom Menace. And they're coming out to do repairs on the ship. Well, we know the Mandalorian is not a fan of droids, so he fires a blaster bolt, scares the crap out of them, and they scurry away before we are greeted by the mechanic who controls those, those, those pit droids. We meet Pelimoto, played by comedy legend Amy Sedaris. How about that? So she has a fun role. And if you don't recognize her quite at first, I mean, you know the voice. It, it, Amy Sedaris' voice is infinitely distinguishable. So kind of a fun little twist to see her show up in a Star Wars show. thought that was interesting. 
And she's going to be the mechanic who has to conduct the repairs on the Razor Crest. Now, just before the Mando disembarked to have this, this meet and greet with, with Pelimoto, he decides that uh, he's in a little baby Yoda's asleep. The, the dog fight was a little intense for him. Put him, put him right to sleep. So the Mandalorian kind of like puts him in like a, I don't know, the, the Razor Crest equivalent of a pantry, I suppose, like some kind of cabinet somewhere, which is an odd choice. You know, we, we've talked a little bit about the obvious comparisons to Lone Wolf and Cub, and, you know, the first couple of episodes of the series, how he takes the baby, baby Yoda with him pretty much everywhere he goes into battle with the Mudhorn and, you know, all, through all kinds of situations. And part of that is because, as demonstrated in the previous chapter, Baby Yoda's got a mind of his own and is going to do what he wants. He does what he wants! So him putting the Baby Yoda away in another cabinet doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. Because once Baby Yoda wakes up, Baby Yoda's just going to leave. So what's he doing? Again, poor parenting decisions by the Mandalorian. And, you know, what are you going to do? These Mandalorians, these bucketheads, so thick in the head. Thick in the helmet, if you will. Any hoot. That provides him the opportunity. I guess he assumes that Baby Yoda's safe and sound, sleeping away in that little little cabinet on the ship. And he heads out into Moss Eisley proper. Now, Moss Eisley, you know, again, we're in that period five years after the fall of the Empire. Jabba the Hutt's dead. Uh, Moss Eisley, not quite the bustling spaceport that it was previously. And uh, no, that becomes pretty apparent as we enter into possibly the most famous location, if not in... Tatooine itself in Star Wars overall, we enter the Moss Eisley Cantina, the famous cantina scene from episode four. It is um, again not as bustling as it once was. Business is 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 slow. We don't have Figrin um, Dinan and his band playing. There's a lot fewer customers, and uh, they but they do seem to have become slightly more progressive since the fall of the Empire uh, as. Uh, you may remember droids were not welcome there, but now there is a droid bartender, and that's I guess that's progress in the Star Wars universe. Uh, you probably recognize the form of droid. The droid behind the bar is an EV series droid, which you will probably recognize from Return of the Jedi, where uh, the evil torturer droid in Jabba's palace, the EV-99 unit, was at, you know, putting the hot iron presses on the, on the droid's feet and stuff like that. This is that series droid. It's another evoking of, of familiarity in the Star Wars universe on this particular series. And this episode's pretty heavy with the fan service. I'm not going to lie. It's, uh, it's pretty all over the place. My, my Alexa just sounded behind me. Sorry, guys. I guess I got a delivery. We'll take care of that later. Um, where was I? Damn, Alexa, I ruined it. I lost my train of thought. This is an episode very heavy with fan service. And, and if going to Tatooine isn't signifying that on its own. I mean, the, the, the sheer number of references to other things in Star Wars, the, you know, the, the winks and nods in this episode are pretty heavy. They're pretty heavy. And I guess, I guess now's as good a time as any as to talk about some of them. I mean, well, no, it's not. We'll, we'll, kind of co- we'll, we'll cover quite a few as we get there. But trust me, there are more. And you'll, rec- you'll, you'll know them all. I mean, they're, they're, not, they're not even subtle ones. They're, they're pretty damn obvious. So we're in that infamous cantina, and the, man, the Mando, he doesn't have any money. He can't pay for the repairs that he needs on his ship, so he has to go and do what he does. He has to go and find, find uh, work tracking down 
tracking down bounties. The, the, EV, the EV droid behind the bar offers, uh, tells him that there's just not a lot of guild work available in Mos Eisley right now, which is fine with the Mando because he's not looking for guild work because the guild is after him. So he looks he's looking for off-the-book stuff. And the droid's not very helpful in that, but a gentleman seated behind the Mandalorian in the infamous spot occupied by Han Solo and Chewbacca in... A New Hope, lets him know that he has a bounty that he could use a little help with. And this new person introduces himself as Toro Calican, and he's played by Jake Cannaval, which you probably recognize the name as the son of Bobby Cannaval. And uh, let me pause for a second here, too, because I know I have some weird predilections and some weird thoughts about things, but I'm just so tired of, of like the nepotism in Hollywood. I'm sure, I'm sure Jake Cannavale has, has a very decent chance at becoming a very decent actor. But right now it just seems like he's the kid of somebody famous. And I think uh, once you see his acting chops in this episode, you might agree with me. He's not the best. He's fine. He's adequate. Maybe he gets better. I don't know. But again, I I have a lot of personal grudges against the nepotism that seems to uh, permeate Hollywood these days. It's really uh, annoying and bothersome. So Toro offers the Mandalorian uh, a piece of this bounty. And so he shows him the puck on who the bounty is. And the bounty is for a character named, someone we actually talked about previously, before we even started doing these episodes, the the episode-by-episode covering of the Mandalorian. Uh, This is for Fennec Shand, being played by Ming-Na Wen, who you probably know from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you probably know from Mulan, and like a million other things. She's fantastic. So I love seeing her in this episode. And this is who the bounty's for. She is muscle for all kinds of intergalactic bad guys, but the New Republic has put all these intergalactic bad guys away. So they're trying to get Fennec Shand off the, off the behind bars as well, apparently, get her put away. Now we find out that uh, the Toro is not an official member of the guild just yet, so he needs help from the Mandalorian. This will be his first capture, and this will get him into the guild. And he offers the Mandalorian reward, the entire reward, for helping bring down Fennec and getting him into the guild. It's a deal that the Mandalorian seems seems too good to the Mandalorian to pass up because uh, he's strapped for cash and he needs to get to get his ship repaired and get the hell out of there. Because he, uh, hopefully he knows that there's more bounty hunters that are probably going to be tracking him down soon. So a deal is struck and they make plans to take off. It also should be mentioned that a lot of the scenes from the trailer are in this episode as well, especially that scene with the stormtrooper helmets on the spikes, on the, on the, on the pikes, I should say. So you see that as a Mandalorian is making his way to the cantina. Now, as the scene with, with, uh, with Toro is playing out, you have back in the, back in the hangar, back in the hangar, you have, you have a uh, Pelimoto and her pit droids playing cards and they hear some noises coming from the ship. And it's, yeah, there it is, Baby Yoda, up and about. And so now is going to be Baby Yoda sitter uh, for, the, for the stretch of this episode as well. It was an interesting... Again, I, I, I think it's a huge mistake to, to keep the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda away from each other. So this was a bit vexing to me. No offense to Amy Sedaris and her character, but I, I, I feel like we're... we're 
not quite hitting the point of the show at this point. We're, we're, we're making odd choices. Again, it's a little interesting when Baby Yoda kind of announces his presence in the ship. You know, we hear a noise first. It sounds very reminiscent of what Obi-Wan Kenobi does in Episode Four, with that, with that crate dragon sound that he makes to scare off the Tusken Raiders. I don't know why Baby Yoda makes that sound, but it scares the bejesus out of, out of Peli and her droids. When they see the little figure of Baby Yoda come, you know, waddling down the ramp, they are rather surprised at what made that noise. And, uh, again, more fan service, throwing in that, that Krayt Dragon noise. So this partnership that, that Toro and the Mandalorian forge is already on dicey ground as Toro smashes the tracker. That way the Mandalorian can't leave him behind. It doesn't show a lot of trust. I suppose, in The Mandalorian. But The Mandalorian makes a poor decision, too. He doesn't know this guy. And he invites him back to his hangar dock. He says, meet me at my hangar. That seems like a poor plan, especially when you have a child you are trying to protect from other bounty hunters. You've just invited a bounty hunter to your hangar. This seems insane to me. Sorry, it just does. So what happens? They go back to the hangar. Mando goes back to the hangar. He finds he finds Pelimoto with... With Baby Yoda, they're hanging out, they're discussing. She wants paid extra for taking care of the child. Seems reasonable. Seems more reasonable that the billionaire would take her with, that the Mando would take Baby Yoda with him. But, you know, whatever. I'm not in charge of the story. So, of course, Toro's there. They meet with the speeders, which are reminiscent of the speeders that Anakin uses in Episode 3 before he goes and hunts down some Tusken Raiders and kills everybody, as that's actually in Episode 2. Correction. Some more fan service right there. But not they and there they take off to go into the desert because the tracking fob for, for Fennec Shand indicates that she's out beyond the Dune Sea. Wink and a nod. But before they they don't leave before Toro sees the child. So then they take off into the desert. And it's a cool little scene, they're racing through the sand before they come upon Tusken Raiders. And it's seen very a shot very reminiscent of the one from Episode Four: New Hope. Except this time, as Toro pulls down the the binocs where he, where he's looked and seen the 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 Banthas and the Tusken Raiders, the Mando points, and there's two Tusken Raiders right next to him now that he didn't see coming. Except instead of you know doing the Tusken Raider thing where they go into a fight and they're ar, 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 before they do that whole thing. Uh, the Mando knows how to communicate, and so basically they barter for passage through the Tusken Raider territory and the cost is a new pair of Binox. Toro's not stoked on that, but the Mandalorian doesn't really give a shit. And then they're off. They're off to find Fennec Shand, the elite mercenary <laughs> who has worked for every top crime syndicate in the galaxy. I don't think it's going to go well. So again, they're on the speeders, and this time they come across another site. This is of a dewback on the ground with a body behind it, dragging a body across the sand. Now the Mandalorian and, and Toro are, are propped up behind a dune and they're staying low because it seems suspicious to the Mandalorian. But he wants to go down and check it out, see what, what the deal is. So he makes his way down to the body on the, on the dewback and they find out that it's another dead bounty hunter. And then Fennec Shand opens fire on the Mandalorian from a hidden point out in the out in the mountain range, because she has the high ground, which, as we know in Star Wars, is 
infinitely deadly. If you have the high ground, it's over. Don't even bother fighting. Well, all right, maybe you should still bother fighting. Now, one question I had, and this is just kind of weird and randomness, but obviously they're out, they're on, ta- they're on Tatooine. They're, it's a desert planet. And the, and the Mandalorian's covered from head to toe, basically, in this Besker metal. Doesn't that get hot? I don't know. Just a thought. Anyways, they're under fire. Finishing has, has a modified MK rifle uh, that covers a lot of ground, packs a lot of punch. But at least according to the Mandalorian, the only reason why he stayed safe and was able to absorb the shot was from the, is because of the distance between them. Uh, it, it seems to indicate that a, a much closer shot would have, from a closer range, would have gone right through his Beskar. So they they formed the strategy. Well, the Mandalorian has a strategy that they're going to wait it out, that they have no chance to to take her and her position in the daytime. So they're going to wait for nightfall. So the Mandalorian puts uh, puts Toro on watch while he goes to rest up. And that's exactly what he does. Mando goes and takes a little bit of a nap. I'd like to mention at this point, too, that uh, Fennec Shand has a very cool look. The, this fun, like, uh, helmeted visor uh, it's just, uh, it's very cool, a little mysterious, uh, but it seems highly efficient for a mercenary in the Star Wars universe. All right, so the sun goes down, and Toro's ready to ride. He sees the Mandalorian, and he starts yelling at him to wake up, and the Mando doesn't move. And then, then Toro decides to get cute, and, you know, he look at you, you're asleep on the job, old man. Now I'm going to pull my gun and pretend like I'm going to shoot you. And it's, I don't know, would you really do this to a guy in a mask? Like, you don't know what's going on underneath that thing. It's, (laughs) it just shows that he's kind of a weird, jerky kid, this, this, this Toro Calican. So here's a really great set piece for this episode. One of the things that I really, really enjoyed, just like I enjoyed the space battle at the beginning, I enjoyed this scene of the, the, the Mandalorian plan involves charging the ridge, on the speeders and using flash grenades to make them harder to hit with the sniper rifle. Basically, the flashbang pops and it blinds Fennec Shan so she can't make the shot with the sniper rifle. It's a really fun scene and it looks really good. You know, you're getting to see these speeder bikes whipping across the sand in, in daytime. I'm sorry, in the, in the, in the moonlight. Yeah, Fennec's, Fennec's preparing to blast. There goes the first flare. Can't see. Cover more ground. And she's going to whip off that helmet and get her eyesight back. Now, one of the questions that I, I was curious about is they each take about two shots with their, with their flashbang, you know, flares. And it, I wasn't quite sure if Toro, on his second shot, m- misfires in purpose or not. I was kind of curious about that because his misfire gets the Mandalorian blown off his, his speeder bike. But the Mando's going to do the job. He fires his flare, and then all of a sudden... Takes another shot to the chest so that Toro can go up and confront Fennec Shand. Now, this seems to be part of the Mandalorian's plan. I don't know if taking the shot in the chest was, but it seems like he's using Toro as, as, as almost a decoy because they get into a bit of a fist fight, and, and Toro seems completely outmatched by the awesome Fennec Shand character. The Mando gets up from the ground, feeling around in his chest. He's still alive, so it's like, okay, cool. I guess this did work. So now he's going to get there and get the drop on, on Fennec. So now there's a little bit of a, a squabble after they've placed Fennec Shand in, in, in cuffs. And that's the fact that they, they're short a ride now. Uh, we, ha- they, we have one speeder. So the Mandalorian suggestion is that, he sent, that Toro goes back to find the Dewback. And they use the Dewback to get back to, for, the man, for one of them. And 
authentic to get back to the most Eisley. Yeah, Toro's not into that. He doesn't want to leave the bounty behind, risking believing that the Mandalorian would run off on the speeder on his own and just leave Toro out there in the desert. So the Mandalorian goes back to get the to goes back to get the dew back. And in in fairly typical fashion, but then she starts sowing in this, like I said, she sows in those seeds of dis, of distrust, saying that the Mando seems to be one calling the shots. And Toro's like, no, I hired the Mandalorian, he works for me. This is when Fennec Shan tells Toro that he already has something far more valuable than her. And that is the Mandalorian. She says his armor alone is worth more than the bounty on her. But Toro's like, I don't care about the money. Fennec says, what about your reputation? And then, he talk, then she mentions a Mandalorian shot up the guild on Navarro. Now, apparently, this is where we, we first find the name of the planet that the Mandalorian was on when he shot the place up on episode three, when he helped escape with the child. Navarro. We finally have a name for that planet. And that, that in doing so, he took a high-value target with him and went rogue, betraying the guild. This is Peak Toro's interest. So Fennec tells him, if you bring the guild that traitor, then that's going to solidify his reputation, and he's going to become a legend. Which is what it really seems like Toro wants. So this is when Fennec also drops more information that seems to be getting around the galaxy. Apparently the word of what happened on Navarre is spreading like wildfire, and it's become the stuff of legends, the, the, the shoot-up of a man, the Mandalorian shooting up Navarre, Navarro and, and escaping with his target. Now, apparently the word is also out that the target is a child, so that's what Fennec tells tells Toro in order to convince him, in order to kind of help sow more seeds of dissent and distrust. And that's when it clicks with Toro, because he saw the child. So he knows that it's true now, and he knows that's the Mandalorian that these stories are about. Now, Fennec offers also to help him take out the Mandalorian, but uh, he's not that worried about it. Again, I you know, I'm watching the scene again as, as I'm relaying it to you guys, and I just... <laughs> This kid is just not a great actor yet. Maybe he will be, I, but it's I, I don't really buy a lot of his actions, his gestures. It just seems, uh, he just seems uncomfortable in the skin. And then he blasts Ming-Na Wen. He blasts Fennec Shand. And seeming, I, I'm not quite sure if he kills her. We'll talk about more about that a little bit later. Um, but it seems like a poor decision on his part. Because, sure... He can still go and get the bounty on the, on the Mandalorian if he wants, but why not collect a bounty also on Fennec Shand? Why not make your reputation even more powerful, more bigger, more, uh, a bigger legend, bigger reputation for yourself by bringing them both in? That just seems dumb, you know? Not that I thought this kid was smart, but that just seems dumb. And then they just leave her in the desert. So when the Mandalorian eventually comes back on his dewback, and he just finds the body of Shand laying in the, in the sand which leads to another weird decision. Why would he just leave the body in the sand? I'm assuming he can collect the bounty on a dead person too. So the Mandalorian goes back to Moss Eisley without anything. It's all very strange. And, and, and even more strange is that the Mandalorian doesn't even dismount from the dewback. Now perhaps the heads-up display in his helmet reveals that she is dead and that it's not worth pursuing. I can I can give him that, but it still seems odd not to pick up the body and bring it back. Like you can collect. The only thing that maybe makes me think that he can't collect is maybe he needed Toro to collect because maybe it is a guild bounty, and he knows that he can't collect it on his own. That's the only rationale I can think of. 
So he goes back to Moss Eisley, he goes back to the hangar, and he finds the speeder waiting there. So he knows Toro's inside. He knows Toro's figured it out via whatever means. So he goes in with Blaster Drawn. Pitroids are running around, they're scared. We find out that Toro has Baby Yoda and Pelimoto hostage. And Toro likes to emphasize that he's the one calling the shots now, so he tells the Mando to drop his blaster and put his hands up. Which, I feel like if you know anything about a Mandalorian, you would realize that even if without a blaster, a Mandalorian's still very armed and very dangerous at all times. So he sends... So Toro sends Peli down to, to cuff the Mandalorian so that he thinks he can trust him. Or think he is neutralized. But, of course, the Mandalorian, tr- weapon up his sleeve, or trick up his sleeve, still has the, one, of the, one of the flares. Peli sees that, knows that... Uh, he's not going to give in to this loser. And as he takes, takes, as Toro takes aim on the Mandalorian, what does he do? Oh, he's going to fire that flare. He blinds Toro, sneaks around to the side, gets the drop on him pretty easily, and also endangers Baby Yoda in the process. <laughs> because Toro gets blasted and falls with Baby Yoda in his arms. But fear not, Baby Yoda is okay. A lot, a lot of cooing and awing from Baby Yoda in this episode. It's uh, very cute and endearing as usual. Baby Yoda does his, does his magic on everyone. Lovey-dovey Baby Yoda. All right, so the Mandalorian pilfers the body of Toro. And he offers up all the money to, to Peli in order to pay for repairs and anything else extra on top of it. All right, and with their tab settled up, the Mando and Baby Yoda board the Razor Crest, and they're getting ready to get out of here. Our, our reminiscence on Tatooine is over. This is when they tell Pelly. Pelly tells the pit droids to drag the body to Beggar's Canyon again. Wink and a nod to something else we know. And here we go. The Razor Crest takes off and leaves for its next destination. But out in the Dune Sea, we have a tracking fob sounding. We see boots and a cape approaching the body of Fennec Shand. Still appears that she's dead. We're not quite sure. They leave it kind of ambiguous because uh, this figure kneels down. Now, what did we just see? My suspicion is we just saw another Mandalorian tracking our Mandalorian. So we're going to get some Mando on Mando action potentially down the road. Uh, There's been some suggestion that perhaps it's just another Imperial figure who works for our heavy that we haven't met just yet, the the Giancarlo Esposito character who's coming down the road. Um, I I don't know. I kind of like this, this notion that perhaps there's another Mandalorian out there there, you know, this Mandalorian, our, our Mandalorian is on the run now with Baby Yoda, so he's not bringing in credits for the cause. So perhaps there's another Mandalorian out there doing this work, or perhaps this is a rogue Mandalorian. It's a fair assumption. We don't know much about this, this division of the Mandalorians. Are they all united? Are they all in hiding? Or are there factions? Are there sects that, that have different different codes, different beliefs than our Mandalorian in his sect that was on Navarro. Hello, everyone. This is Tom from the future. I'm coming back in time to interrupt this podcast with important news. Well, it's not even news. Uh, I'm coming back to address the rumors that are now swirling online after this episode that uh, perhaps... The boots in the cape that we saw indicate the arrival of Boba Fett on the scene. That would be interesting. It is a possibility that I did think of when I, when I first saw it. 
Um, I sort of dismissed it out of hand because I wasn't sure if they were going to go there this season. I feel like uh, if you're going to introduce Boba Fett, you need to you need to make a bigger deal out of it. You need to kind of build that over over some time. Uh, but but you know the show moves fast, so maybe 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 they're going to skip a couple steps and take care of that this season. Or maybe they're just playing something up for next season. Who knows? I also initially dismissed uh, the idea of Boba Fett because the cape and the boots don't match with what we know of Boba Fett's, Boba Fett's costume. However, uh, if you spend any time bathing in the digestive juices of a Sarlacc pit, perhaps you need new boots and cape. So yes, I've heard the rumors. There is a there's a, there's a decent chance that, that that they're right that it is Boba Fett. I kind of don't think so though, but I have to be fair. I have to, um, I'm here to give you guys information and, and, and all the information that I have in my brain on these topics. And in order to do that, we have to have a Boba Fett conversation. And that's why later this week, you are going to get a special Mandalorian supplemental episode, The Boba Fett Debate. Get ready. That's going to be coming the middle of this week, Okay. The great Boba Fett debate will begin. And now back to the show. The, the, the biggest frustration with this episode in particular is, is we're, we're getting more questions, but we're, the, the answers are just being just dripped out at the slowest possible paces. Um, again, I like so much of this episode. I, I know I sounded hypercritical of it. And to an extent, I am hypercritical of it because as much as I love fan service at the same time, if you're going to do give me as much fan service as you gave me in this episode, help advance the story more with it. And I'm not sure they really succeeded in advancing the story. Like I said at the beginning, this kind of felt like a bit of a detour episode. Uh, it's like, oh yeah, by the way, we really are in the Star Wars universe. Here's Tatooine for you. And it's like, ah, I don't know if I need Tatooine right now. You know, you spent four chapters giving me all these new things, these new planets that you're not even naming you know, these new experiences. And now to go back into the familiar seems a bit, it's not jarring, but it just seemed to kind of go against the grain of what we've gotten so far. And again, I'm okay with that if it served the purpose of the story. If they're like, hey, I need to go to Tatooine because those those power converters on Ta- at Tashi Station are the best ones you can get in the quadrant, so we need those. At least that's something. I, you know, it, it just seems all very random here. And then again, uh, it was a lot of opportunity for, for, for fan service. Again, nothing wrong with fan service. Just advance your story while you're giving me the fan service. Trust me, I love going back to Mos Eisley. I love seeing the bar where Han Solo shot first. That's right, Han Solo shot first. And Greedo did not say McClunky. I don't know if you guys have seen that cut yet. Holy balls. Okay. I like those things, but it, it was a little heavy with the references. I mean, you know, you... you it, it's countless. I, I you guys watch you guys watch the episode. I know you picked them all up. Anyway, so there were some frustrations with this episode because of that fact. We we really didn't learn anything new. The Baby Yoda's mystery wasn't advanced. The Mandalorian's mystery wasn't advanced. So there's not really a lot to dissect to pull through on this one, which is a little bit of a bummer because it was just too busy uh, jerking us off with with episode four references again, which I'm okay with to an extent. But if you want to jerk me off, I mean, you know, you can at least whisper sweet nothings in my ear at the same time. Good Lord. You know, well, that's big graphic. I apologize. Maybe. Hopefully I didn't offend anybody. In conclusion, I like the episode. And perhaps 
after the season wraps up, after after chapter eight, which is only three away, guys, we're almost at the end already. Perhaps I can look back on this with a bit more of an objective view because I'll understand the context of this episode better in relation to the rest of the series overall. I don't know if we'll get there. Like I said, it's, it, detour is the best word I can describe for it. It just felt like a, like a break from what we were getting. And it seemed a, a little bit of, of, of changing what we were getting from the show, too. Like I said, I kind of like this, this, this new and unknown as opposed to visiting all the familiars. It's like, you know, I mean, are we going to be stoked to get back to Hoth next week? Do we need to see that? Anyways, just a gripe. And I guess while I'm on the gripe, I, I'll, I'll mention it one more time. I do think keeping Baby Yoda and the Mandalorian apart from each other is a mistake. Unless it has to do, again, it, unless it's in the service of the story, in that the they are being kept apart for a specific reason or because of forces against them, that sort of thing. Let their relationship continue to develop and evolve by having them spend more time together, let us see how the Mandalorian is kind of changing and evolving in the presence of this child. And just like, and the same thing for Baby Yoda, see how he is reacting to the actions of the Mandalorian. Now, remember, this, this Baby Yoda is Force-sensitive, and we assume Baby Yoda is on the, on the side of right. And he's with the Mandalorian, a, a in the Star Wars universe, a, a, a character who lives in the gray, who does... Uh, questionable things. Now, he does seem to have a code. He does seem to have beliefs. But he's not above killing people. I don't think Yoda was a big fan of random acts of violence. But, again, just serve the story. Serve the story and give me some story. I just felt like there just wasn't enough story here. We got, we got, we got to go on a tour of Tatooine, which is fun in a lot of ways. It really, really is. I just wish we'd gotten a little bit more meat out of that story. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Now, perhaps, and this is speculation, perhaps this was just a needed break before these final three episodes. Maybe these next three just really ramp things up and we start getting all the information, all the story. And then, again, like I said, I'll have nothing to complain about. This This would just end up being a nice little visit to a familiar locale. And that can be that. Let's hope that chapter six, seven, and eight really pick up the pace. Uh, the tagline, the little plot tag for for chapter six is out right now. It, it is available to look up, and it just it says that the Mandalorian hooks up with a gang of mercenaries. Okay, well let's see where that goes. I'm I'm curious, but make sure you keep Baby Yoda with you. I think it's time to get that little Baby Yoda backpack thing going on because you don't want that kid out of your sight. You can't. There's too many people after him. After you, let's get more aggressive with the protection of Baby Yoda. Let's stop. Get, let's uh, let's stop with the nonsense. Stop putting him in cabinets. Stop expecting him to stay when you tell him to stay. He's not a dog. He's Baby Yoda, and Baby Yoda do what Baby Yoda wants. And that's all I got for you today, folks. I hope you've enjoyed my ramblings on this episode of The Mandalorian. I know I sound like I'm being a fucking hater. <laughs> I know, I know I sound like a hater on this episode. I'm, I'm not hating on it. I'm just, I'm just asking for more. Give me, give me more. I know the show can be more. I know the show can do better. And it will. I, there's no doubt in my mind about that. So let's wrap it up proper, folks, okay? Follow us on the social medias, if you don't mind, at TomCast underscore podcast on Twitter, at the TomCast underscore podcast on Instagram. You can email me, TomCastPopCast at gmail.com. 
You can officially join Pophead Nation at patreon.com forward slash TomCastPopCast, which is going to get you super cool bonus episodes. And as I mentioned before, if you don't mind, click that little subscribe button on your on your Apple Podcast app and drop us a five-star review. It would be super, super awesome if you did so. We would love it because small, independent podcasts like this, we need all the help we can get. And love and support from our, our dedicated audience members is what's going to help us do that. So spread the word about us. We, we, the Pophead Nation needs to grow. All right, so that was our Chapter 5 Mandalorian review, and this has been Issue 60. And like I said, I didn't talk about it before we got into the show, but I played some fun, festive, intense Christmas music to kick off the show because it is December. And you know what? I only have so many, so many shows that I can play holiday music for. So uh, get ready to hear more of that for the rest of the month. I hope you enjoy the, sty- the eclectic stylings that I will pick for holiday music. I'm not sure you're going to get any Bing Crosby on this podcast, but you're going to get some Rob Halford and some other badass stuff. That's for sure. All right. Thanks again so much for listening, guys. I will talk to you all soon. Be safe. Take care of each other. And most of all, ciao, babes. Oh, look. The suns are coming up. Quiet. Look, there's still time to make my rendezvous in Mos Aspa. Take me to it and I can pay you double the price on my head. I don't care about the money. Oh, so the Mandalorian keeps all the money for himself. Only because I let him. (laughs) Doesn't seem that way. I mean, it seems like he's calling all the shots. Shows what you know. I hired Mando, this is my job. Bringing you in will make me a full member of the Bounty Hunters Guild. You already have something the Guild values far more than me, you just don't see it. What? The Mandalorian. His armor alone's worth more than my bounty. I already told you, I don't care about the money. Then think what it would do for your reputation. A Mandalorian shot up the guild on Navarro. Took some high-value target and went rogue. That Mandalorian? Like I said, you don't see many. You bring the guild that traitor, and they'll welcome you with open arms. Your name will be legendary. Oh, Fennec Shand. So devious. So careful. So smart. Uh, again, love Migna Wen. Hope that character, Fennec Shand, comes back. Would love, love, love to see that. So there, there, was, the, there was the episode. I hope you guys um, enjoyed re, 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 revi- revisiting, and then re-revisiting, if you've listened to it once already, uh, that, that initial take on Chapter 5, The Gunslinger, in Season 1 of The Mandalorian. Uh, again, it's an interesting episode, uh, especially when you kind of start to peel back some of the layers on it. You know, we've, we've played some of some clips from the episode, you know, when the Mandalorian first enters the cantina, and he's speaking to the EV-99 unit at the bar. Again, a, a robot bartender in a bar that was said wouldn't serve droids initially. Pro- progress on Tatooine, folks. It's happening. Uh, but, you know, when he tells... When the robot tells... Uh, Mando, that the guild no longer operates out of Tatooine, and when you know, pair that with my earlier observations about how uh, most likely not quite the bustling spaceport that it was when we first saw it in Episode Four. Uh, it's it's uh, uh you know is, is that tied to the fa- the loss of Jabba the Hutt with without the the criminal activity without it being like the hub of of Jabba's empire uh, has has. Tr- 
Tatooine resumed its position as as a complete backwater planet? You know, is there is there less activity, criminal or otherwise, going on because of Jabba's death? And an, an interesting thing that, that could possibly be be further explored uh, in season two of The Mandalorian if we do return to Tatooine and and square off against Vanth Cobb and or Cobb Vanth, sorry. Um, Again, some, some some more layers to peel back. Uh, again, this episode also, you know, looking back, seeing it. Um, again, I was critical of Mando leaving Baby Yoda. Uh, and I, rightly so, I, but I, I think it's because that, that's the arc. The, the, the Mandalorian is not quite there yet as, as, as being like the full-time willing guardian of the child just yet, of Baby Yoda just yet. Uh, he's learning that he has to be because you know we've seen the trailer for season two seven thousand times already. At least at least I've had it seven thousand times, and he said, I mean, Mandalorian's perspective, Din Djarin's perspective in season two, is very very different than tucking the child away in cabinets. It's he says it right in front street in that trailer, where I go, he goes, quote unquote. So this is part of that progression. This is part of that journey. And and so while I was critical of it. It does look like the like Dinjarin the Mando has grown, so that's a good thing to see. That's what we want to see out of our out of our, our out of our our hero in in the story. Um, and other than that, yeah, it's 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 a really really enjoyable episode. Again, I went back to it, having gone back to it multiple times now. Um, I like it more and more uh, the further I watch it because, like I said, it, it's a bit of an onion episode in the sense that you can pull back layers on some of the some of the dialogue and some of the scenery. You know, and just kind of pick it apart and, and, and see how how much the world has changed on Tatooine. You know, like, we, you know, speculating about, is it different because of Jabba's death? Is it different because there's no Imperial garrison? Um, it, it's, it's, it's interesting to kind of uh, explore some of those thoughts, and maybe we'll get a chance to dive into that with a guest uh, coming up in, in the near future. Maybe either just before Season 2 starts or during Season 2. Or possibly after Season 2. We'll have to see how it goes. But it, uh, the Star Wars universe is so much fun to... Uh, to examine and to hypothesize about and to come up with theories and, and things of that nature. Uh, uh, again, a fun, fun episode uh, showing our, our mighty Mandalorian doing the things he does best. Now he gets himself into a bit of a predicament. I do think he's a tad gullible in this one. Like he, he had to know that that uh, he's going to get betrayed, right? Like who didn't see that coming? I saw it coming. <laughs> Again, he's a little trusting, a little. I almost, I don't want to say naive because we've seen the Mandalorian be rather smart, rather cl- clever, and intuitive in in, in prior episodes. Um, I it, perhaps it's just the desperation, like he needs the money to repair the ship so he can uh, continue to be one step ahead of the bounty hunters guild. But yeah, uh, now you know, not not knowing that Callahan was gonna was gonna turn on him seemed a bit. I don't know, odd, or maybe he does know, and it's just one of those things that doesn't quite get conveyed as well because it is, he is a character with a, with a helmet on. Let me know what you think. Again, we're at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram, and I, I think that's all I have for 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 you folks today. Again, fun fun episode, a good go back to to one of our favorite spots in the Star Wars universe, which is Tatooine. And uh, with that being said, uh, I don't think I have anything more for you guys. We're gonna be back very very soon. Uh, we're gonna be cranking these out cranking them out now that i'm back from vacation i know we missed a week last week but back from vacation and uh, these are gonna be rolling out fast and furious as we as we work our way to season two of the mandalorian on disney plus all right please stay with i hope you please stay with this podcast as we get into those new episodes and i hope you're enjoying this fun look back at the first 
season of the Mandalorian, especially, uh, you're seeing it through my, my current eyes now and the eyes I had when it first aired back in, uh, November and December of 2019, which feels like a million years ago at this point, uh, in our 2020 world. But again, I hope you're having fun with it and we'll be back very, very soon. So with that being said, we, we all know how this is, this podcast ends now, right? It's, it's, it's in stone. This is the way. You're a guild traitor, Mando. And I'm willing to bet that this here is the target you helped escape. You're smarter than you look. Fennec was right. Bringing you in won't just make me a member of the guild. It'll make me legendary. <laughs>